The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Stomps, stomps, stomps. <laughs> you are listening to the Burrows of Berea. All right. Well, welcome back to the Burrows of Berea. I am Rick Welch and not behind the glass, but a long, 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 far away road trip, Andy Bishop at Berean Bible Church. <laughs> He just did his little rocket sound, everybody. Yeah. And also, straight out of Compton, Ralph Hicks. Represent. We don't have Billy Kimsey. He wasn't able to come. And Cherry Lewis is in Idaho on the Fort Hall Reservation doing a vacation Bible school with some young children, uh, which is awesome. And then uh, Sarita. I, guys, I called Sarita last How night. How is she? She does not have COVID. Oh, really? No, she has the Amish flu. <laughs> You ever heard what? of that? If that's a real thing. It sounds like a punchline. Um, yeah, it starts off, you're a little horsey, and then after a while, you're a little buggy. Oh, it is a and there's his joke. Sorry, just kidding. She does have COVID. So, <laughs> if you guys hear anything in the background, we are recording at the Berean Bible Church, and uh, so you're going to hear some people talking, maybe some questions from the audience. And we have a very special guest, somebody that I got to meet this year. Uh, my wife and I immediately just fell in love with this guy, uh, minister, uh, author of the book, uh, Christianity's Great Dilemma, which I have read, my wife is reading, and we've been passing it around. Uh, Glenn Hill, thank you so much for being on the show, Glenn. Thank you, Rick. Yeah. I'm very honored. <laughs> uh, you have no idea what the show is, so I, I don't... <laughs> I don't know that you would be honored or not. I feel very much out of place. Oh, not at all. We're at, we're actually the ones out of place. Um, that's what we wanted to know since I met you at the spring conference and uh, got your book. And of course, when I first found the Berean Bible Church org, uh, I saw that that book was on their website, and so uh, I was really exciting excited to get to meet you. But fortunately for us, for me, uh, you're here to do a testimony for us, which I'm super excited about. So the first thing I always ask every every guest is, can you tell me your earliest memory of when you heard the name Jesus Christ? <clears throat> no, I can't. I uh, gave my heart to the Lord age nine, or as you guys say, he drew me at age nine. <laughs> <laughs> but I felt like I gave him my heart. But anyway, I understand that Salvation is his work, and he does draw us to him. But I had gone to church since since I was even younger, but it was nine years old when I finally, as we did in those days, made my way to an altar and said, I want to be your boy, and I want to live for you. So that's about as good answer as I can give you for sure. that. So, are you, and now you are from, is it Rocky Mountain, North Carolina? Yeah, Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. I was born there, and I tell people I never got very far in life. I'm still there. <laughs> so, um, but um, but anyway, I, I I was sincere with the Lord, and I have tried to live for Him ever since. Haven't always pleased Him, I'm sure, but 
I've tried, and that's been the desire of my heart from a young child and a teenager and a young man. Um, I often remember, think about the, the, the words of the Proverbs when he says something like, remember thy creator in the days of thy youth before the evil days come. And uh, there are other testimonies of people who went through uh, all kind of things and finally got free of it. But from a child, I tried to live for the Lord, so I never developed some of the habits I might have developed otherwise. I never smoked, never drank, never did drugs, never raised hell and run around. Uh, And by 15 or so, I was preaching. So I... uh, have tried to live for the Lord all my life, and I'm grateful for a mother that was real dedicated to Jesus. And though I understand now that we had many mistakes, we were doing the best we could and the best we knew at the time. I come from a kind of a holiness background, a Pentecost important in our lives, and um, very work-oriented, the Lord couldn't save me unless I helped him. Right, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> so much of my life was spent trying to help him. Uh, thank the Lord for the day that I found grace. Mm-hmm. So I'll pause unless you want me to keep on. Well, no, I mean, I'll let you keep on, but I'm really curious. You said you started preaching at the age of 15. Well, something like that. I can't remember exactly. but Around that time. So you was, can you tell me about your call, like how that, how that happened? <clears throat> well... Um, I can't. No, I can't. How how, how long have you been preaching? What, what's the math on that? Well, I'm 82 now, so. <laughs> wow. Um, I'll be 82 next week, August the 9th. Um, what inspired you to start years. reading, writing books? What? What What inspired you to start writing books? Well, I guess that's a little late in my story. Yeah, we'll I, get to that. I'll that's I'll important. That. We'll, we'll get to that in okay. there. Right. The, the Lord, Lord started reeling him in when he was a baby. He got him to shore at nine, and by 15, he was already in yeah. the car, car driving the Lord out to the world. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, didn't give him a license until I was 16. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's always been my heart to, to live for him and to— um, Make him, as I say in the opening paragraph of that book, to live for him so that make him glad that he saved me. <laughs> um, but um, I've never been a member of any denomination. My churches I attended and, and my church that I pastored for many years were always non denominational churches. But um, as I said already, we went through a, I was in a very fundamentalist. Fellowship, and um, my sister and I joked that we couldn't do anything as young people except go to church and go to school because everything else was a sin. <laughs> and so <laughs> that's uh, kind of how I grew up. And I look back now, I missed a lot, but maybe I missed a lot of trouble too. But at any rate, uh, again, those were efforts to be sure I was saved. You know, so um, you, you couldn't go to movies. You, didn't have a TV at our house and couldn't go to the school dances and couldn't go to the sporting events and couldn't even be in the band because they had to attend the sporting events and I couldn't do that. So I was glad when I discovered grace and that was probably pretty well, I was maybe 40 or 45 years ago. 
But I remember the struggle of trying to get good enough to be saved. And um, it just seemed the older I got, the more impossible it was. And I do remember the experience I had one Wednesday night after I had spoken and the church had kind of emptied and I was still on the pulpit. And I remember the feeling of just falling back in the arms of the Lord and saying, Jesus, I can't do it. If you don't save him, it's going to be lost. So he made the Ephesians passage come alive for me that salvation is his gift and uh, so that no man can brag about his having done it. And uh, it was a wonderful experience for me and for our church. And we, I tell people we had about a six-month revival after that. Wow. I preached that Sunday morning on uh, the next Sunday morning on the simplicity of the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I mean, all my life I've never been able to feel like that it was that simple or that easy or that possible. There was always some buts and some ands. And, and like I said, I had, had to help the Lord in the, in the process. But when I realized it was totally by His grace and His goodness that I am what I am and that I am saved by His by His grace and mercy and not by any good works that I have done. Uh, whenever I came to that understanding, uh, again, a, a, a several-month revival broke in our little church. People were, were burdened down with, though they lived life as best they could, as I was doing, tried all of their hearts to please the Lord, and wonderful Christian people, but the feeling that they weren't sure if they were saved yet, permeated the place. And with that burden lifted, again, there was such joy in the church, it just brought a, a time of refreshing and revival. And so that was one of the greatest moments in my life. Uh, a lot of our fellow ministers uh, felt like I had gone off the deep end. And, and, you know, if you don't keep the pressure on the people, you know, they're going to not do right. But my experience was that I wanted more to do right after I realized I was saved by His grace than I did before. Uh, because if He had saved me, then I wanted to live for Him and please Him and make sure that He knew that I appreciated what He had done for my, for my life. So that, um, that was a great point in my life again, 40, 45 years ago, something like that. And, of course, the next great milestone was being exposed to the preterist view of the Scriptures. I never had heard the word preterist or preterism for most of my, my life. And I was of the opinion most always that Matthew 24 was about the judgment of God on Jerusalem. But when you got to Acts and the epistles, that was a coming of the Lord that I still anticipated in the future and looked for, as most everybody else did. But I had grasped that Matthew 24 was about his judgment on his people. Uh, there are a few passages on Matthew 24 that speak about the sign of his coming and all that. And I just kind of skipped over those places because I didn't quite grasp it. But anyway, um, I suppose that my journey into preterism began uh, when I found John Bray, um, one of my church members 
found a, an advertisement for his book uh, in a in a Christian magazine, and so she ordered it, and we ordered it, and I was thrilled to death to find that he had written a book called Matthew Twenty Four Fulfilled, and uh, he was a well educated, world traveled uh, Baptist evangelist. And it just was so exciting because I was the black sheep in Rocky Mount. Not only for that reason, but if I might insert this here, I believed in something called life only through Christ, that if you want to live again, Jesus was the way and the only way, which did away with hell. So I was a no-heller and I was a no-hell preacher. And from a young man, uh, the local ministerial association didn't really appreciate me very much mm-hmm. because I, I, I didn't believe in eternal torture. If you're going to live after death, if you're in hell suffering, you're living. But there's no life outside of Jesus, I believe. So that was a, a position I had from a long time ago. I understand it better now, but anyway, uh, so I didn't believe in hell, and so that— uh, and I'm about to lose my train of thought here now. I don't remember where it was. But You were talking about after John Bray. Yeah, read okay. That. So John Bray, he was an evangelist stationed in Florida, and he traveled around the country. And so when he came up near North Carolina, uh, my wife and I went to, to see him, and um, we just fell in love with him. He was a wonderful elderly gentleman, and uh, he he printed a lot of little books to begin with, bits and pieces, and he put it all together in this one big book. But um, we were so thrilled to know him, and here was a man again. I was a man uneducated. Uh, one thing I didn't get to do was go to college. But I, and again, that was in that era of time when you didn't do certain things because it was out of God's will, supposedly. Uh, I made nothing but straight A's in high school, and when I graduated, I won a f- full four-year scholarship to the university, to North Carolina State University. And I prepared that summer to, to go to my first year. And uh, my pastor preached hard against my leaving and going. Um, I don't suppose it was as bad as Leon Howes was. Leon Howes, a uh, preacher, when he was about to be not let, allowed to graduate because he hadn't had enough courses in PE, uh, his preacher said, you won't need education, son, the Lord's coming back any day now. But uh, but it was just, I was just preached that I shouldn't leave the little church and go off to school, and it was, wasn't the will of God for my life, and maybe it was that I don't know, but anyway, I, I gave that all up and it broke my heart and broke my dad's heart. I would have been the first one in our uh, family to got on higher education, but... Do you think I, it's possible that, that uh, the pastor of that church was actually a Tar Heel and didn't really want you to be a Wolfpack? <laughs> no, that wasn't possible. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, but anyway, um, uh, I, I didn't go, so I'm, I tell people I'm just an old, uneducated country preacher, so that's why I feel a little bit out of place right here this morning. But I got a, a library full of more books than I can read, <laughs> And I've tried to educate myself in the things of the Lord and otherwise through the years. But John Bray, uh, we just loved him, and we even bought a bunch of his books and 
studied them in church as a church. And again, it was exciting to find someone that was educated and did know the Bible that saw Matthew 24 like I did. And then in one of the later editions of his book, I don't have one now. I wish I had one, but on, on the back page here where he didn't have anything, he had a little, in his later edition, had, had a little rectangle about the size of a business card. And it, he said something like this, in my studies of Matthew 24, I have come to believe that all the comings in the New Testament are the same as the coming of the Lord in Matthew 24. And so I said, hold on, Brother John. You have done gone off the deep end now. There's no way that, that can be possible. But I'd come to love him and respect him so much that I felt like if he felt that way, I had to find out why. And, and so I redoubled efforts to study the subject. And really, uh, my ulterior motive was to get him back on the straight and narrow. But I found out that I was the wrong one who was mistaken and that he was right. And that was my beginning of coming into the understanding that uh, of, of the preterist view of scriptures. And so I give him credit for that and getting my heart going in that direction. Uh, and I, at that time, he was probably a partial preterist, but understand, well, he did. He came into full preterism before he died. And apparently he gave American Vision, Gary DeMar's organization, the authority to keep his book going so you can get it now at American Vision in Georgia. And uh, so I'm glad that it's still around. And now Gary DeMar, he's mentioning, is actually coming to the show in September. Oh, cool. And he has American Vision in Powder Springs, Georgia, I believe it is. Yeah. Yeah. When when about was this? What Approximately what year was that? When you met Bray and all that. Oh, probably in the mid-90s, 1990s. Okay. Okay. I was just wondering for the context of preterism, because it's such a like, I'd never been exposed to the concept of preterism before we started this co- this podcast. So yes. it's just it's just it's wild to me, and I'm trying to determine like what the timeline looks like for the expansion of preterism, just for my own view of kind mm-hmm. of you know recent history of U.S. religion, sort of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm always I'm curious about kind of this idea, like how far this idea spread and really when. So that's why I ask. Yeah. Well, for me, um, uh, the mid-1990s, uh, my wife and I began to to try to study and go to any kind of conference we could, and and there weren't many in those days, and there weren't a lot of books. Um, to tell you how much has changed, there's more books now than you can read and more programs than you can watch about preterism and the preterist view of Scripture. But 25 years ago, that, that wasn't the case. Yeah. And, uh, of course, I met Dave, David at a conference in Oklahoma that Don Preston had, and, and uh, he did such a marvelous job at that sermon. I said, man, I got to come up and see you. And so it was and after— the audience, that, you mean David Curtis from— Yeah, David Bob, yeah. Curtis. It right. was after uh, that encounter that we started, Betty Sue and I started coming up here to, to church a couple times a month or something like that, as often as we could— we fell in love with the people, and they seemed to fall in love with us, and they've been a great source of help and strength and courage through these years. Um, I told about finding grace, but when I when I studied after John Bray's shaking up my life, 
and decided he was right and I was wrong, uh, my wife kind of settled that in her heart a little sooner than I did. I always say that she was maybe more willing to say I'm wrong than I was. <laughs> but anyway, I put it on the back burner of my life uh, for a year or so. I said, I, I can't tell everybody this. It'll blow my world apart. And I didn't want to blow my world apart, but I couldn't keep it on the back burner. It was such joyous news. And so when I went public, it did it did tear up the fellowship that I'd built up over the years. That's something that, yeah, sorry to interrupt, but that's something also, Andy, that whenever, something that's always been remarkable to me, remarkable to me is when you meet someone like Glenn or like David, and in their testimony, they talk about when they make the choice to believe something, how it destroys, I mean, you're talking about ministers, this is their livelihood. They'd be like you being at your studio and then suddenly saying, you know, something completely opposite to your recording artist. Like today, we're going to use a tambourine on your rap album. And they're going to be like, what? And they're like, no, this is what we're doing. Because you believe it so strongly, then all of a sudden your business just ends. Yeah, that's wild. Because you use tambourine on every single track of everything you do, right? That's pretty much what it feels like whenever you change your mind. And so I just wanted to hone in on that, that you said, when you said it blew up your world, you literally mean that as a minister, you weren't welcome in churches to preach anymore and things of that nature, right? Absolutely. And um, uh, you asked about the book. Uh, this is when it came into being. But I lost the fellowship of many precious, wonderful Christian people. They felt like I had left the faith. Jesus wasn't coming. That was just... They felt sad for me, and I was looking for the Lord to come. Um, and the places that I had preached through life, uh, I, I was welcome to come, but I couldn't talk anymore. And uh, that, of course, that rejection brought a, a lot of heartache and hurt. And uh, But I always tell people, and I want everybody to know, that the joy and the happiness and the peace from a better understanding of his word, just far outweighed any hurt and rejection that I had. I, I could put up with all that rejection because it was a great joy that I understood now a little bit more about the Bible. I, I, I said I preached from a young man and for many years, and as I look back now, I really didn't quite grasp what the New Testament was all about. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and now it's come alive with more meaning, and and this understanding makes things that didn't make sense make sense now. And all those passages that I kind of read over and left them alone because I didn't know what to do with them, you know, they, they fall right in place now with this understanding that all that stuff was not for us 2,000 years ago, but it was for people for the people 2,000 years ago. And you got to put it in that proper context or else you'll, uh, uh, you'll, be, you, you'll get a wrong understanding of it all. So, uh, the, uh, again, limited access to all these people I loved and loved me. No chance to talk or to preach in their midst anymore. And so I decided... I'll write a book and try to explain to everybody why I had to change. And so that's how Christianity's Great Dilemma came into being. And again, uh, that's the first book I ever wrote. I started another one before my wife died called Christianity's Great Deception, 
the church's doctrine of hell. I hope that I live long enough to finish it. I think the Lord probably feels like I have. He's given me that chance, but I haven't been able to function like I did before I lost my wife. But anyway, this feeling that I just had to tell people why I changed led to the book. And so I tried, I went through the New Testament in the book, asking the question, when does the Bible say Jesus was coming again? And from Matthew through Revelation, I tried to show when he was coming. And it was never now, it was back then. And it, I used to say to the Lord, uh, why, Lord, have you left us in the dark about your coming for so long? Why weren't you more pacific about it? Why didn't you tell us something? We've just, uh, my grandfolks and my, my folks and me, a hundred years or more what I can remember now, and we've all been looking for you to show up any minute, and, and why didn't you give us more instruction? But when I when began to read the Scriptures speak what they wanted to speak, I realized he'd given us a lot of instruction. <laughs> he told us for a long time. He, he told us again and again and again. <laughs> you just have to believe it. It's the same predicament as the, as the Jews are still in, waiting for the first coming, and here we here we are waiting on the second. <laughs> That's yeah. right. What a That's predicament. Right. That's, a good, I, that's a good point. Both of us mistaken, or at least what they wanted out of the first coming was a mistake. But um, uh, and what people are warning now. I mean, there's you know the feeling that that. Uh, Jesus is going to set up a literal kingdom in Jerusalem and build another temple and all that stuff. Uh, people are looking looking for that, but uh, there's no purpose in all that. Jesus has provided salvation, and we just His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, and we get to live in it and enjoy it. And uh, people people uh, asked, or they say, "You taken away my hope." You know, Jesus is not coming. What I got to look forward to? Well, I said, which is better, having a brand new Cadillac convertible? or hoping you will get one one day. Which is better? <laughs> uh, obviously, having one is better. Mm-hmm. And so I preached a sermon one time, my journey from hoping to having. These things I had hoped to have, all of a sudden, I realized I had them. And so I get got to live in them and enjoy them and not just hope one day that I could possess them. And so I... Uh, that and that just just brought great joy to joy to my life, but uh, back to the book, it was an effort to tell people that I haven't left the faith, and and um, it's a simple book, no big words, no complicated theological jargon. Uh, you don't have to have a dictionary beside you to read it, and it's in, written in the common everyday language of people, which is what I speak and what I know. So. It's unbelievable to me that it's been out 11 and a half years now, and it's just still selling great. Every week almost somebody discovers it and gets excited about it, and it's just been such a blessing. People ask you, what do you do? Well, it's kind of kept me busy because I'm writing letters to people and and involved with the book, and I've saved for 11 and a half years, and I don't believe there's been a single month that I haven't gotten a little— uh, uh, royalty from Amazon on the book, and that's just unbelievable. I was such a nobody and still am, and uh, for my book to have that kind of readership, and it's been around the world, even translated into the Dutch language. So, 
but I, and people want me to translate into the, into the Spanish language, which maybe I should do or get done. But anyway, uh, that book is has just brought me in touch with so many people, and apparently has helped so many folks to see the truth. And I'm just so grateful for it. And and Jesus gets all the praise and the glory and the honor because uh, I uh, I couldn't have done it by myself. And uh, I thank thank the Lord that He's using it and uh, helping people to see this truth. Maybe I should pause and let y'all. Tell me how you want me to fill in there. <laughs> no, I mean, no, I, I, I I like everything that you that you've said. It, it's made me think about some things, and even you were talking about uh, something. Pastor said the other night that we become. He, he's felt like a Pharisee, you know, out there talking. And if you listen to a lot of pastors today, it sounds like they're all a bunch of Pharisees. Look, I'm the only one that knows. It's my way. There is no other way. And but what you said earlier is absolutely spot on. Jesus is the way. And That's it says right. Jesus is the way. And they we've lost yeah. it that the pastor someday, you listen to them, sometimes it's, I'm the way. And, and I want to give credit to a man who lived in the mountains in Sparta, John Anderson. About the time Betty Sue and I were into searching, he started having conferences. And that's where I met, I think, David and Don Preston and, and uh, Ed Stevens and John Noe and several other people who were kind of leading in this effort. And again, there weren't many materials, but some of them had some cassette tapes and, and some sermons they had printed out, et cetera. And we got our hands on all we could find trying to understand if this was true or if it was not. I've always been a man and a Christian and a preacher who pursued truth. And as I already said, I disagree with the ministers in my town because I didn't think they were preaching the truth about things and and the truth mattered to me and not not tradition. And so I, I, I wanted truth and the same was true about the, the understanding of end time events. Uh, I've had a real recent experience that uh, I'll just share with you. Um, I um, had a man to order a book somebody had recommended for me. And when I got to mail it to him, I realized he lived 25 miles from me. And so I told him in the letter with the book that he and I had to get together for lunch or something sometime soon. Well, about a couple of weeks later, he called to get another book. And then I found out that he went to a church near me. So I said, we won't meet for lunch. I'll just come to church one Sunday morning and I'll meet you. So I've been going there visiting because of the contact and relationship with him for a couple of years. It is a futurist church, and but um, uh, they had asked me to preach a few times, and they got mixed up again, again with me and called me doctor. Uh, I told them I wasn't a doctor, but I still get mail from them, Dr. Glenn Hill. And I, <laughs> but, uh, anyway... Again, I'd preached a few times for them, and they loved it, enjoyed it, and they loved me, and I loved them. And recently, um, they invited me to preach again, and I, I just felt led of the Lord to preach something more meaningful than a general sermon that everybody would enjoy and, and praise me over. And so I just felt led of the Lord to preach uh, the truth about the last days. As I've been coming in two years now, I gotta, gotta do something meaningful. So um, I wouldn't dare do that without the pastor's permission. So I talked to him and 
said uh, it's going to be different once you believe and what I, how I see it is a, but I, and I wouldn't dare preach it without you're okay and so after a while of discussion, he said, well, you just go in and preach what you feel like the Lord's laid on your heart, and, and we'll deal with it. Um, so, that's amazing, uh, actually. Huh? That's really amazing. That's amazing. Because I don't yeah. know very many pastors that would open up their pulpit to hear something outside of a Baptist minister. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. Um, but anyway, I preached it, and um, the following week I got the word that the board had decided that I would never be allowed to preach again in their church. And so I've, I've wanted to go back since, but I haven't. But uh, that was a, still the same kind of wall. And if, and if ever anybody preached a sermon that was scriptural, that one was. And I was just Bible after Bible to support the position that I was bringing to the people. And it's on my Facebook page. Anybody that didn't hear it that wants to hear it, just go to Glen Hill on Facebook, and this second, third item down is a sermon called The Truth About the Last Days. Not a very long sermon, but— I'll put a link on uh, our birdsabria.com directly to that so that the guy but anyway, can go um, on and see that. That's a recent, recent development and recent experience, and still in the midst of it, I, I want to go back. And, and uh, my friend has told me— Things were pretty emotional, and and the truth is, and I still don't understand this, the pastor had resigned since I was there when he founded the church 20-some years ago. So He he resigned? Yeah. So is I, it in, do you think it's in regard to them putting the wall up to you? Huh? I think something's happening in his heart, don't you? Yeah. yeah. I wonder if they're not related, but not—one's not entirely the cause of the other, but they're both indicative of the same thing. I think so. I think, yeah. I think so, but um, I mean, I can't imagine it. This was his baby. Sure. And they met in the mall for years, and now they built a great, big, beautiful church. And uh, he's resigned, uh, says he's going to preach like a missionary here, there, and yonder. And, and uh, But anyway, uh, and of course, that's just typical of the kind of things you run into when you stand for truth. I quoted Lynn, Lynn Howes a while ago, but— and Lynn is a a, a, press, per, a person in uh, West Virginia that believes in times like we do. Uh, but he says, the truth will make you mad before it makes you glad a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's so true with a lot of folks. You get mad over it, and after a while, you, you're glad about it. But mm -hmm. um, Well, that's the uh, truth. And I just really love it. With all my, it Discovering preterism made a new man out of me, made a new preacher out of me. Uh, my ministry and my life for Jesus really had kind of, 25 years ago, it really kind of become ho-hum and, you know, I, ordinary. But but discovering this just set me on fire again for the Lord, and I love Him more than I ever did. And... Uh, it's just been a, a journey that I wouldn't take anything for. Uh, I just it's just been wonderful, and um, to have had a wife that was in it with me and supported me. Uh, I write in the opening pages there that her daddy gave me an angel for for a wife, and he did. She was just uh, beyond special, and and her seeking the truth 
brought division between her and her family. But uh, anyway, we've always tried to be cordial and maintain contact anyway and keep the doors, our door open and hope that another door will open by and by. But that's all in the Lord's hand. You can't make people believe things. But No, but that when you see that wall go up, it's I remember before as a futurist when you saw the wall go up, I would look at them and I'd say, wow, I really feel sorry for them. They don't know the direction they're going. And now I look at them and my heart hurts. Like it really hurts because yeah. I know the joy that I feel Absolutely. and how fulfilled that I have become since I've understood this. And I want them to have it so much, you know, and that's the and pain. That's exactly what I told the people uh, in June when I preached this sermon I talked about is that it had brought so much, the truth about the last days, it brought so much joy to my life. I wanted to share it with them. I wanted to tell them about it. <laughs> yes. And because uh, uh, it just made a new man out of me, and I wanted them to share it too. I also told them that I loved them so much. I realized I loved them so much I wanted to tell them this, but I realized they might not love me very much after they hear, heard it. And that seemed to be the case, but. The truth sets you free in a different way. Yeah, <laughs> that's door. right. The truth, <laughs> yeah, is, true. the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free, but before it sets you free, again, it says sometimes make you mad. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> like, like I said yesterday, it's like the, the days of the early Christians, you know. They were persecuted for uh, beliefs that, that other people didn't have. It was completely new. Uh, uh, and you, you have all of these preachers out there preaching this. Let, let's say there, there are a million preachers out there preaching this, and there's a, a thousand folks that are saying, wait just a minute, I think you guys made a left turn when you should have made a right. And that's hard to, to get the whole world uh, to, to look at that, and it takes years and years. Like Probably like you asked earlier about preterism, I don't know exactly when it started, but I'll tell you the... The, the pieces of it have been around forever. Like he said earlier, he didn't believe in hell and didn't preach hell. And one of the sermons when we first started doing this is I said, I didn't believe in hell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and So I think that uh, there have been people for millennia that didn't believe in certain things. I'm, I'm, and I think it's yeah. come together over years. I'm sure this read is a thousand years old. It's just, it didn't, the idea didn't really spread or just didn't become commonplace for whatever reason. I'm sure the read itself is very old. It's just, you, uh, but it's the spread of the idea seems to be changing at this point. I don't know. It's been I, around I, since Jesus spoke it. It's just we didn't understand it. A lot I, uh, of us didn't understand it. You know? I uh, should have brought another book in called The Parousia with James Stuart Russell. Uh, that's what, a couple hundred years ago that was written? Yeah, oh, in yeah. the 1800s, and, yeah. And that was really... Kind of like the Bible on preterism. Yes, and that was that was not recent, but a couple of centuries ago, he first published it anonymously because it was so radical, and so <laughs> different. And then a few years later, he, he republished it and put his name to it. But um, that's just I read it and it just brought so much joy to my heart I couldn't put it down hardly. Just and that was when I was early days and I was trying to see is this true. And, and as he wrote and expounded it, you know, and again, it's not like, not like we got one verse and we cling to that. There's just verse after verse after verse that support the preterist view. As David said last night, you can't, you can't take the scriptures and destroy the preterist view. You just can't do it. 
and you take ideas and concepts and what Joe said and John said and all that, but uh, you can't take the scriptures and tear this down, and I just love it for that reason. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I know that um, I've heard several ministers talk about their three points in a poem. I've heard David joke about yeah. it on his, you know. Um, David, what does your cup say exa- exactly that you had today? It says, I can do all things with the verse taken out of context. I can do all things with a verse taken out of context. <laughs> there you go, you can. And you know what I discovered? It's really interesting. We, uh, When you sit down to listen to sermons, you know, we're going, of course, we want to fellowship with other believers. No matter what, whether you're an Adventist or a Baptist or whatever, your point of going is for fellowship and reading the Bible and learning. At least that's the idea. And I, I found it's really interesting. A lot of... Uh, like free will Baptists will quote C.H. Spurgeon. And I've heard, I've heard Presbyterians uh, and I've heard people like quote James Stuart Russell. And I'm like, I don't think they read the whole book. I think they went online and they searched for some cool quotes to go with their, like they're, they're quoting these people. C.H. Spurgeon is a, like, I'm a huge fan. Like I went to go see his church over in London. Like I had, to, I just wanted to see it. Uh, he read James Stuart Russell's book and he stop short. It's almost like he was a partial preterister somewhere. He didn't really focus on eschatology as much, which is strange because I don't know how you could understand the Bible, but I think we all know that C.H. Spurgeon was pretty deep when it came to the Bible. But we all quote those things and get them out of context. And I think it's because it's like, it's almost like we're blind. We're so used to, maybe even our society today, especially, which is why I wanted this podcast to start in the first place. Remember, Andy, we want to unlearn and unpack the things that we've been forced to believe because of our surroundings and try to relearn it by just letting the scriptures tell us what they say. And that has been revolutionary in my life. Yeah, Just letting the scriptures talk, all of them, not part of them, all of them. I think we've become a nation of taking things out of context. Uh, we, 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 we have these fixtures in, in politics where they got to do this spin on it, and they take one line out of something, and then the guy it goes to court, and then they have to read the whole thing, and the guy's acquitted because yeah. they took that one line out of it. It's right. just, that's why we have USA Today. I don't, when I was a kid reading newspapers, you had articles. And then all the different newspapers wrote about the similar things, and there were three or four people that fact-checked everything. And now USA Today gives you a small paragraph on everything. Mm-hmm. It's I like am. the front page of the Wall Street Journal on the left side. It has, gives you all the snippets. And how many people just read those snippets and don't go read the whole article? And they come back out, and they start talking about something like they really know what happened, but they didn't read the whole article, and there's something behind it. Right. The I truth, am. usually. I heard a preacher say one time, when you take a text out of context, all you got left is a con. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. That's good. I can't believe I've never heard that. <laughs> yeah, that, oh, and Ralph's writing it down. He'll be using that later on a sale on a sales journey. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah so I think I think Ralph's point's really good, especially with like the internet and stuff, where like you'll sometimes you'll see the headline of an article, and then even that headline, the click, you click through and read the article, the article will literally sometimes contradict the headline. That's right. But the headline is printed to make you angry. Yeah. Clickbait. Yeah. It's clickbait. And you watch TV news. Mm-hmm. They will, there's like, what, a couple hundred, 700 million people in this country now? No, it can't be 300 that million. 300 million. 330 million. million. So there's like 300 million people in this country and they will find the biggest idiot and try to pro. Uh, portray that person as representing a large segment of the population. It's just not true. It's just like, I'm just like, I love that because I think that all the time, so much stuff is like, 
Because that's it's the run- same thing with that person as the headline. They're just trying to get you mad enough to pay attention. That's all they care about. That's what Rush Miller or Rush Limbaugh and Stephanie Miller were all about, and that's why they have taken this country down a bad road. Of course, because Rush is dead. All we do, well, I, I know now. he's dead, but he took everybody way far over there, and then she took everybody way far over there. And what we forgot is, is there's middle ground where we can have a conversation with each other. They took the conversation out of everything. They they made everybody it's it's bad it's this it's this it's this, uh, and I'm not saying that I like one or the other. I've spoken with Stephanie Miller about exactly what I just said, and uh, to get to let her know how I felt and have her uh, talk to me about it when I worked at the radio station, and we had a pretty good conversation. She's a smart lady, but I didn't like the and it's not like I believe in what she says or don't believe in what Rush says or vice versa. It's just the way they go about doing it is just they were that. Entertainers it's all it's exactly what That's it is. True. Entertainers foremost. I went to a yep. conference once where Rush was speaking and he said something, and that's exactly what it, somebody said something. He says, This is just entertainment, folks. Right. So even he said that, but that's not how people take it. The people yeah. take this and then they, you know, then they go stomping like they know everything because they got a line from somebody. So if you take all of that, if we wrap it all in one and we actually put There you it, go, Rick. Bring us back. Uh, let me show you how to segue back to Glenn. So, <laughs> Thank you. The, but if you take everything we just said, and let's put it in Glenn's perspective. So you, uh, every one of these Christian churches, these sects that have their specific beliefs where they've taken uh, perhaps some scriptures out of context or whatever, no judgment here on any of these. I'm just saying that's possibly what's going on. Sure then they've built this entire doctrine. They have all these people. They believe it this way, and nothing is going to change their mind, in my opinion, except for the Lord. I think the Lord's the only one that actually changes from within. But that wall that he kept meeting, that Glenn kept meeting, were, it's, it's that thing. That it's it's such an ugly ugly wall, like an ugly monster, yeah, you know? It and it feels like it, you feel like you're alone. Yep. It's a really weird place. Yeah, that, I've that decided— so difficult. I can't imagine— I've imagine. told everybody that I know that I'm a preterist, and I've and I've and I make it very plain. I, my mother-in-law, my sweet mother-in-law, I love her. <laughs> She's constantly trying to convert me back to where we were, giving me books and telling me, you know, we'll get together at the dinner table and we'll be praying, and and then suddenly we're done, and she'll slide me a little book, you know. From, <laughs> <laughs> and I love her so much because I can see it in her heart. She's got that same love that I see in you, Glenn. Like, and I and I see that. So we might all have some different thoughts, and there is some gray area. But you know, we want to share it. We want to share it yeah. so much. And all these churches that that uh, won't let me preach anymore, I still go to them. I visit them occasionally, and you know, I try to, as I said earlier, keep the door open. And I, if we cut off everybody that doesn't see everything just like we do. We will be alone, and, but but I, I I continue to try to be kind and gentle and loving and Christian in my attitude toward people that think I've left the faith. Again, hoping one day that there'll be a chance that they'll see it or that I can uh, give a testimony again or scriptures or something that'll open their eyes. Uh, that the Lord will do it. Uh, he has to do it. That's certainly true. But you're still doing it. Like You're still preaching. I know I just saw you at the conference, so I assume you're, and you were just at this previous church, so you're still going on. Yeah, you're still I, preaching. I, I don't pastor anymore, but I preach when I get invited somewhere. And mm-hmm. so I got a book for you to write. <laughs> he came. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he already did. It's I called Christianity. I, yeah, I think yeah. there's one like that. <laughs> right. I, I, well, I bet there is, surely. Yeah, there's, I, again, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Predators books now. 
where 25 years ago it was one or two or something. Or Don Preston had four or five little books, and and in the last 25 years, people say asked about this is is as it has exploded in the number of people that see it. I mean, everybody's familiar with the saying in the Old Testament that, you know, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And after a while, people in denominational churches or wherever get tired of Antichrist is coming. You know, he, he, you know, 50 years ago, he was born over in Europe and he was on the rise and 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 nothing happens. And uh, after a while, you get thinking people get kind of weary and tired. Sure. Uh, I, I think you're— Upbringing, your upbringing is fascinating to me because it sounds like you're a man that that like actually walked the straight and narrow, which is really difficult to do in the long term. I think we absolutely all know how hard it is to to really walk the narrow, especially in that first part of your life when humans are just prone to like mistakes and trying things, and and how the pressure of that like like that strive for perfection like kind of was crushing, even on a man who seemed to actually be able to do it, which again, is nearly impossible. So that's yeah. fascinating to me. I remember I remember bowing before the Lord and weeping and about the scripture where Jesus told people to, you know, come unto me, either labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest and be joyful for your soul and all that. And I just said, Lord, you know, I've, I've worked and I've labored. I, I hadn't found any rest. Yeah. <laughs> I'm weary. I'm tired. I'm worn out. Where, where's the rest? But hallelujah, I found it. Yeah, I love I that let, part. I let him say, I let him save me. Yeah. And now I just live and love him for that. I love that part of your testimony because when you said that, I could actually feel. Your, your body language, because I'm watching you, when you said that, I could feel your body language just go right back to that point where you were released and you were free. And, and yeah. it, it was, I, I mean, I felt that, and you were just res- describing something that happened 40 years ago. Yeah. Uh, but I could feel that because the way you said it and the way your body reacted to it, I could see that all fall away. Yeah. It was very, very real experience. And, of course... Um, finding the truth about anything is wonderful, but finding the truth about grace, finding the truth about end times, just has liberating, liberated, and again, it caused me to be more dedicated to Jesus than I was before. I thought I loved Him before, but now I love Him more than I ever did, and and so I. I said I said in that last sermon that I preached that that I wish that the Lord would see fit to do me like He did Good King Hezekiah was it to give me fifteen more years Yeah, <laughs> and I said because I, 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 I just I, this, I I discovered all of this late in life. I'm glad I discovered it late in life so I could uh, try to correct things and apologize and do a better job of presenting the truth. One one elderly pastor told me he just didn't believe the Lord would let him preach all this mistaken ideas all his life and come down when he was an elderly pastor now and let him know he was wrong about it. 
And on the other hand, I'm glad that though it was late in life, he let me know I was wrong about it, so I had time to correct it and get it straight. So uh, I'm just so grateful for that. But uh, it's... Um, it's been a glorious journey, and none of the trouble, none of the heartache has come and has never outweighed in the least the joy unspeakable and full of glory. I, I told the church the other day, I used to preach the doom and gloom gospel, and now I preach the joy unspeakable gospel, yes. and it's such a difference. Hallelujah. Absolutely. Yeah, well, Jesus brought the joy, and and, and I think a lot of preachers don't don't preach that they preach you're you're a sinner and you're going to hell, and and Jesus preached the the love and the light. Yeah, it's a yeah it's a, it's an interesting thing to when you have so many negative things that happen to you in all some of these churches, it's easy to keep going back and back to it, back to it. But I can I can attest as I listen to to Glenn talk and like you described his body language, I know that feeling of when you finally let that go and you're just like, wow, like. Not only did he mean what he said, he said what he meant. You know, he he did all that for me. He did it all for me. And I and once I released that, then I you know when you're trying to walk the straight and narrow, it's it's different because you're you're following after Christ and you're you feel that that joy and that excitement and that love and people that maybe used to irritate you before suddenly it's just they don't irritate you like they used to anymore. You just see them for and I'm like. It's all good. Like it really is. It's all good. And they think you're crazy or you're obviously on some form of drug, but you're not. You know, it's you're just, yeah. it's just, it's the Holy Spirit just working. Well, I've seen that in you because I've known you for not, not a lot of years compared to some, but I've known you for a while. What, I was, what I've seen in you is you talk about the, the asking the questions, but certain questions bring doubt. Mm -hmm. And so I don't see you anymore questioning with doubt in your mind. Now you're questioning with a fervor. Mm hmm. You, you, you're no longer doubting some of the things that you believed or you've heard because you've now found the truth and now you're after that. So your questions are more leading to more truth and seeing that you have this mm -hmm. uh, and that's been freeing for you. Uh, where in the beginning, uh, when you had those questions, okay, there were doubts. Is it this? Is it this? What is it? What is it? And when you find that truth, then it's not the doubts. Now the questions are about right. more of the truth. Right. And not to... And just, and we're going to have to wrap this episode up. Um, but I wanted to say, Glenn, your book, um, an amazing book. It's the perfect, I like to call it the preterism starter kit because you are right. It is, it's simple. It's simple. It, it, and I can hear your voice in it. Yeah. My wife even says that. She's like, I was reading it and it's, it was like Glenn was talking right to me. And, uh, for anyone who's listening, uh, we're gonna we'll put the link up. You said you have an Amazon page where you can. Well, I, I have a I have a I have a website, glennlhill.com. Glennlhill.com. You go there and that's and, that's the best place. Yeah. Okay. It, it's t it tells you that how you can get the book. I mean, you can order from Amazon. You can order it from me. Would it be okay if it, I put your link on our website? Yes, for our I'd listeners? appreciate okay. it. Wonderful. And, uh, uh, again, numerous ways you can call me, send me a check. Anyway, a lot of ways to get the book, So, but it's all there on glennohill.com, along with a description of the book. And Jeff, Jeff did that That's for cash. Jeff did that for <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we, yeah, and I, we have yeah, several got a, copies. Yeah, the other day sent me two $20 bills. He just owed me for one book, but, but he sent cash. <laughs> yeah. 
That's nice. Well, Glenn, thank you so much for being on our show. Well, thank it means, you for having me. It means a lot to me that you took the time out to talk well, to us. I'm, I appreciate being included. I'm honored, and I thank you for having me so much. Absolutely. Yeah, and I and guys, we will get that link on the website, but if you need to, glennlhill.com. Go check it out. If you go to the bereanbiblechurch.org, uh, there's a little uh, blurb on their page where you can actually read about that book. Is there a link to buy it from there, too? Yes. So there's a link there as well. So uh, there's plenty of ways to get to Glenn's book. And uh, yeah, and there, there's a lot of, you actually have some sermons that are on their YouTube page, on their website. So uh, guys, just dig in, like dig in and start learning. and Learning. Learning. Sorry. Well, there's that that country. Uh, I'm a Tar Heel, by the way. I'm not, not a wolf pack. <laughs> <Ooh>. but, <laughs> uh, Andy... Uh, I can actually say thanks for being here because you had to drive seven hours to get here. Normally, I tell him thanks for being here, and he's in his own studio, right? So, <laughs> which is which is in my own backyard. Yeah, exactly. I, I walk to work every day. That's right. The boroughs are field tripping to Virginia Beach. Exactly. Ralph, thanks for driving out here and being with us. And uh, yep, represent. Yep. And thanks again. I love the solemn represent. That will never get old. Represent. <laughs> anyway, well, we will talk to you guys next time on the Burrows of Berea. Hey guys, this is Rick from the Burrows of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burrows of Berea. You'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys.